Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Tomstar from La Trobe University. COVID-19 continues to wreak havoc around the world, including in Indonesia, where now more than 350,000 people have been infected and the official death toll has reached more than 12,000, even though, as we discussed in various episodes on this podcast before, official figures remain highly questionable. In today's episode, we return to COVID and we are shining the light on how the virus has disrupted the education of the youngest Indonesians at kindergartens and schools around the country. According to UNICEF, more than 60 million students in Indonesia have been temporarily out of school due to COVID-19, presenting the country's education sector with unprecedented challenges. How have schools responded to these challenges? How have children and parents reacted? And what are the likely long-term implications of prolonged homeschooling for Indonesian children? In this podcast, I discuss these and other questions with Dr. Vina Adriani, the head of the Department of Early Childhood Education at the School of Graduate Studies at Universitas Pendidikan Indonesia in Bandung. Vina has conducted extensive research on early childhood education in Indonesia, often with a special focus on gender aspects of education. Vina, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for the invite. Okay, let's start with a statement from Indonesia's education minister, Nadim Anwar Makarim, recently said in a TV interview, I think, that not enough people are talking about the educational and learning crisis that has come with the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, he says it's too much attention on health and economic aspects at the expense of education. Do you agree with that statement? How much attention does education really get in the public debate on COVID in Indonesia? To some extent, I do agree with the statement from Mas Menteri. I think attention to education during the COVID-19 has relatively been low compared to health and economic aspect. Uh, and very often the discussion, the discussion also focuses on the classroom situation rather than taking into account a holistic and integrated approach in seeing education. By holistic and integrated approach, I mean taking into account how larger socio-political discourse might affect educational practices in Indonesia, particularly during the COVID-19. And hence, any solution to, to solve the problems, in my opinion, should also consider those larger discourses. Yeah, well, obviously, um, the reach of our podcast is a bit limited. But hopefully, we can make at least a small contribution to addressing the shortfall of discussion about the educational crisis. So to start off with, I thought I'd ask you first to give us a bit of an overview what the learning situation is for the very young children in Indonesia at the moment, in kindergartens and primary schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so allow me to explain the situation about what happened in early childhood education first. So in my opinion, early childhood education is severely affected by the pandemic. If, as I mentioned before, the discussion on education itself has relatively been low during the pandemic, the discussion on the impact of pandemic to early childhood education is even 
lower because early childhood education in Indonesia is not part of compulsory education, hence the problems is often invisible. So in my opinion, there are several issues when it comes to early childhood education. So first, uh, because early childhood education is built upon the principle of caring. So one of the, the most difficulties in early childhood education during the pandemic time is how to translate this concept of caring into the online context. And second, the aim of early childhood education is also to develop children's emotional and social well-being. Again, this is very difficult to be implemented in the online mode how a teacher can ensure that her online teaching will be emotionally engaged with the students. That's very often another, uh, some of the issues raised by the teacher. And when we are talking about education in general, primary education upward, uh, I think also in early childhood education, we are also facing with the issue of inequities. So uh, the school in the rural and in the urban areas, I think they are affected differently by this pandemic. When it comes to, for example, again, to early childhood education, early childhood education centers in the rural area are often lacking of financial capital compared to the early childhood education centers in the urban areas. And I trust the same situation is also applied to primary school or middle school uh, where the schools in the rural area are often struggling financially. And that struggle is perpetuated during this pandemic. Uh, for example, during the first wave of the pandemic in Indonesia from March to May 2020, the research done by the National Coalition of Early Childhood Education in Indonesia demonstrated that many ECE centers were forced to shut down because many parents refused to pay the, the monthly fee. Again, these parents in the rural area, they are also struggling financially and at the same time, because they are sort of like acting as a teacher, many parents are also thinking, why should I be paying for the school if I'm the one who teach my children? And also, I think education in general in Indonesia are also facing an issue of access when it comes to the internet connection. And again, I think it's demonstrating a very fundamental problem in our society, which is inequalities, because many teachers and parents, for example, in the rural areas, they do not have access to to the internet or in many cases they don't even have a smartphone to do the online learning or sometimes they do have the smartphone but they don't have the money to buy the, the internet data for example so i think the situation when it comes to education in indonesia is very much what the undp has described that this pandemic has really becoming the magnifying glass for inequalities where the inequalities between schools particularly in the rural and urban areas are very much exacerbated yeah I wanted to ask you about the, these inequalities in more detail, but can I just briefly ask, all schools in red zones are closed at the moment, right? And what about the schools in the yellow and the green zones? Aren't they also closed? Uh, I think now because the case of COVID in Indonesia is increasing, uh, I think I'm, I'm, I don't know any school which has already been open, but the, the, the policy uh, from the ministry actually have suggested that, you know, uh, the school can be opening depending on the on the zone that they are that they are in. But I think it, it's still uh, it's still very, very risky to do so. Mm, okay, as you said that um, early childhood education is not compulsory in Indonesia. So here we're talking about preschool and kindergartens, right? Yes. So how many Indonesian children roughly attend these kinds of institutions, given that it is not compulsory? The, the landscape of early childhood education in Indonesia is quite complex. To some extent, it's also very messy because different ministries are respons responsible for different types of centers. So, for example, we have preschool for children aged two to four years old, and then we also 
also have kindergarten for children from age four to six years old. But we also have children who are receiving the early childhood education service, not through the kindergarten or not through the preschool, but through, for example, the integrated health service or POSIANDU. So it is a very much complex system. And I don't think we have a time to discuss all the complexities. But uh, you are very right that uh, because it is not compulsory, as one could imagine, the gross enrollment rate is still quite low, even though the Indonesian government they have tried their best in order to improve the gross enrollment rate, the access and participation of Indonesian children to ECE. I think roughly, uh, if we are talking about the percentage, uh, approximately the latest data from the ministry, if I'm not mistaken, is around 35 to 40 percent children who have been registered in the Early Childhood Education Center. So there are still a lot of children who do not have access to early childhood education. And those numbers are also very much central in, in Java, for example. So when we are talking about uh, island outside Java, there, the issue will even be more perpetuated. How are these home education programs delivered both at school level, primary school levels, but also at preschool levels? Yeah, this is really a real challenge, I think, in Indonesia, you know, this this issue of low connectivity. And again, as I've mentioned before, it's really uh, demonstrating, illustrating the inequalities in Indonesian society. So uh, the low connectivity, without any doubt, has perpetuated the difference, the inequalities between school in the rural and urban areas. Uh, many teachers, uh, they opted to do home visit, for example. And again, this is not without a challenge, especially in the rural areas. Many teachers, they have to walk miles away from one house to another house and again this adds another issue to the teacher financial burden for example because the teacher they have to spend money for the transportation in some kindergarten for example uh, i know they open the school in a limited condition by limited condition i mean for instance they only open twice a week and with the number of students are being re regulated so it's not like you know all students come at the same day but they are creating a system which can allow the students to take turn in order to to enroll the school and also uh, emphasize on following the whole uh, the health protocol for example but I think at the same time, this situation also yield the level of commitment, the level of dedication demonstrated by the teacher. And sometimes the level of commitment and dedication going beyond the existing definition of teacher's professionalism, for example. So it's also another interesting thing that they are very dedicated. They are trying their best to remain teaching during this pandemic. But very often, it's not feasible within the, the existing definition of teacher professionalism. If it go quickly to primary schools. So where are the programs de devised? Is it um, at the school level or is it at the provincial or district government level or do the teachers have discretion of what they actually want to deliver? Yeah, it's quite interesting despite of the fact that Indonesia have implemented the autonomy government level that each district each each provincial they have their autonomy to develop their own system but i think when it comes to education it is always centralized from state from the central government and to some extent it's creating an issue because the way the homeschooling is structured at the moment is very much based open based upon the school's interest and school's interest is basically following the norm the regulation given by the central government for example so little discussion has been 
made about what is the, the student really need during this pandemic time, what does the teacher really need during this pandemic time, time. I think it's really a good time to opening up the need to have an emergent curriculum, a flexible curriculum that can be adjusted, can be modified, especially during this pandemic time. So I think because of the nature of the curriculum, which is at the moment, I said at the moment, because I know that there is discussion going on about revision of existing curriculum but at the moment the existing curriculum that we are having is very much centralized and to some extent it also adds more problem because the teacher they have to strictly follow all the curriculums without taking into account the disruption the pandemic that is taking place at the moment and um are there any differences in the delivery between the state schools and private schools yeah I think curriculum wise, uh, I will say that there are not much differences between the school, for example, which is run by private organization and the school, which is also run, for example, by the religious organization. But I think the difference is the fact that the school is being regulated. For example, the school, the religious school, including the religious kindergarten is regulated and monitored by the Ministry of Religious Affairs, while the other school, the non-religious non school, for example, is regulated and monitored by the Ministry of uh, Education and Culture. So the issue is more into the governance issues. And these governance issues affect, for example, the amount of schools operation fund received by, by the schools because uh, Indonesian government have introduced the school operational fund. So each school in Indonesia, they are entitled to receive the school operational fund. And very often the number, the amount of the operational fund received by the schools under the Ministry of Religious Affairs is different from the amount of the fund received by the school, which is regulated under the Ministry of Education and Culture. And during this pandemic, I think to some extent, it's creating a bit of problem because of the discrepancy between the amount each school is uh, receiving. And also uh, because this school, they are regulated under different ministry, there is also an issue about the access of training. Uh, of the that the teachers can 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 access, for example, uh, the the teachers in the in the religious school, their training are provided by the Ministry of Religious Affairs, while the teachers from the non-religious school, their training is provided by the Ministry of Education and Culture. Something that uh, many teachers feel that it is something that they need to have, especially during this pandemic. Because to be completely honest, nobody is completely prepared to be teaching during the pandemic. We don't have any idea how to do it. I'm still struggling how to teach during this pandemic time. And also many teachers, I believe they're also quite struggling. So they really need the kind of training. So when the training is differentiated because of the type of organization they are under, I think it is quite uh, complicated. Can you elaborate on this issue of training a little bit? Because um, I was wondering what kind of support teachers actually are getting um, can you give some specific examples what was actually offered for schools and teachers in terms of support there has been a lot of webinars organized by different ministry trying to inform the teachers on how to conduct an online learning but again because the webinar is conducted in the online mode not many teachers have access to the webinar as well due to the problem of low connectivity. So I think, again, it's the question of who's getting access to the training and who's not. So uh, while training is indeed very important, and I believe that the, the teachers, they really need the kind of training to help them uh, prepare the online teaching. But I think there are also fundamental problems and economic problems, inequalities that probably the government needs also to address. Mm. And so 
all of this is organized centrally and delivered by the central government and local governments are not involved in that? Uh, there are some programs organized by, by the local government, I think, uh, but mostly they are struggling with the budget because the budget in the local government are um, uh, mostly devoting for, for the COVID-19. And in Indonesia, there are some direct incentive given for the people from the vulnerable background, and it's normally taking the budget from the local government. So when it comes to education, I think this is why earlier we mentioned that education has uh, relatively receive lower attention compared to health and economic aspect because very often the budget in the local government are, are spent uh, in order to, to deal with the health aspect and economic aspect of COVID-19. Mm, okay, so you've um, mentioned quite a few challenges that teachers are facing, lack of training, confusion about um, instructions from the government, um, delivery mode. If we shift the attention to the parents, what have been the most significant challenge for parents of young children in Indonesia in suddenly having their kids at home where normally they should be um, in childcare institutions or schools? I think there are similar issues that parents are facing with the teachers, for example, in terms of the low internet connectivity, parents in the rural areas, I know they are also struggling in order to have the internet connection. And also at the same time, I think if the parents is are coming from underprivileged background, from economically deprived uh, situation, for example, parents are also struggling to negotiate their work and their duties to teach their children at home. Because without any doubt, this pandemic has created economic issues. So many parents in the rural areas are forced to keep working outside to support their family, while at the same time, they also need to teach their, their children. So, so it, it's really becoming an issue while for parents from middle class background for example they are also struggling to find a balance between working from home and teaching their children and uh, in the rural area many parents also do not have sufficient cultural capital that allows them to understand ways of teaching their children for example so that is why the data from the national commission of child protection in indonesia indicate that there is an increase of child abuse during this pandemic Mm, okay, well, let's finally speak about the children. Um, we've spoken about the teachers and the parents. What do we know so far about the impact on children? How have they been impacted by the pandemic? You already mentioned um, child abuse has increased. Um, mm -hmm. But beyond these most severe impacts, um, just on learning outcomes and um, development, do we, do we have any early data on this yet? I think it is it is quite sad that children's voices are often missing from the discourse during this pandemic. I'm not quite sure if, if there is sufficient data to tell about the, the level of well-being. But I think one thing for sure, as I've mentioned before, that children's voices are often missing uh, during the discussion about this pandemic. And as I've also explained before, the way homeschooling is structured at the moment during this pandemic is often based on the school's interests. So school, they have interest to ensure that they are implementing their program, that they are implementing their curriculum. So again, the need of the children are often overlooked. And there is also this discussion going on, for example, that the emphasis is very much often on the academic or scholastic aspect. So children are awful, overwhelmed with so many assignments, even in early childhood education setting, for example. Young children are expected to deliver many tasks, so children's emotional well-being is often not discussed. You mentioned before that the socioeconomic gaps and inequalities and how they affect access for um, children and families more generally from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. 
But in your other research, you've also looked at differences um, based on gender and often girls are disadvantaged much more than boys in these kinds of situations. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Are there any gender specific differences already detectable in how the pandemic is affecting young children? Yeah, there hasn't been any research uh, conducted, I believe, about the gender specific differences. But I would assume, based on my previous research, that even in the normal situa situation, girls are often more discriminated than, than, than boys. Uh, when it comes to parents, for example, I think the data from Women Commission have demonstrated that this pandemic affects uh, women harder than men, for example, because obviously in a highly patriarchal society, the expectation to do the domestic tasks still lies on the woman. So that's why mothers are struggling more during this pandemic. Yeah, so we've mentioned quite a few very concerning effects of the pandemic. I was hoping that perhaps we could also identify some unexpected positive side effects um, of the school closures, not of the pandemic itself, but of the, the need to adapt and um, the need for flexibility. Are you aware of any, um, perhaps at least new debates or new ideas about how education institutions may be resourced after the pandemic, whether any kind of curriculum reforms may be necessary perhaps to put on public health and personal hygiene or disease prevention onto the curriculum, probably not necessarily at the very early childhood level, but perhaps at school level at least. I'm, I'm not quite sure if it is positive, but I think there has been some discussion about how the school's operational fund should be spent, for example, because initially I've mentioned that Indonesia government, they are providing each school with the school operational fund. And the fund is actually calculated based on the individual child. For example, in early childhood education, a child will receive 600,000 annually, while in prim primary school, each child will receive uh, 900,000 annually. In junior high school, each student will receive 1.1 million, while in senior high school, uh, each student will receive 1.5 million, and vocational students will get uh, 1.6 million. And uh, I think I have to applaud the government that during this pandemic, the government has allowed some room for flexibility. For example, uh, the school's fund uh, can be used to support online learning it can be used to to help the teachers buying the internet data and it can it can also be used to buy the, the items necessary during the COVID like mass sanitizer and so forth even though the school operational fund is calculated based on the base uh, it's calculated based on each child but the money is never directly transferred to the student so the money will be transferred to the educational office at the provincial level and then the, the office will transfer the money to the school so the school is the one who's going to to, to spend the money. Uh, I think there is this assumption that if the money is benefiting the school, at the end of the day, it's going to be uh, beneficial for the children. Obviously, it's quite problematic because we did, again, we do not really take into account children's voices in that process. I think in childhood education, the flexibility to spend the school's operational fund needs to be elevated, that maybe uh, the fund can also be used to cover the student's tuition fee. So maybe this pandemic is also a call for us to have free universal early childhood education in the country you know maybe that's too much but i was just thinking because you know uh, this is one of the problems that's really happening in the society another thing also is i think there is also a discussion about the importance of health the importance of sanitation something that many people sometimes often taking for granted so i think there has been a discussion many schools now they are um, 
using the schools for no fun, for example, they are renovating their, their toilet, they are renovating their, their school's environment in a way that will comply to the health protocol procedures by the COVID. Oh, that's um, good to hear. What conditions would you consider to be in place in order to make it actually safe for schools to reopen? Do you agree with the government's assessments on what should be in place or...? I think it's 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 a very difficult question to answer, isn't it? I think because uh, of the layer of complexities, I think we all know that opening up a school will be one. I think in one side it will be very very beneficial for the parents because as I, as I've mentioned earlier, many parents they are struggling to do the online learning, whether it's due to their low connectivity in their area or also due to the fact that they, they need to keep working during this pandemic. So if the school is open, obviously it will leave a huge burden from, from the parents and also from the teachers because many teachers also, they do not have a privilege to conduct an online learning, for example, and also the students, some of the students, they also do not have a privilege to conduct an online learning. So in a way, it's, it's going to be very helpful for some parents, some teachers and also some children. But I think at the same time, the COVID-19 testing in Indonesia is also, in my opinion, uh, relatively quite low. So I think it can be very risky as well if we open the school because we don't know as children are quite vulnerable to be affected during this COVID-19. So, so I think it's, it's really quite problematic. I'm afraid I don't really have a straight answer to that. So I can understand uh, the government's policy that they are trying to, to adjust the requirement for schools to be open depending on the, on the zone of the school. But yeah, I think it's a very problematic one, really. So mm. yeah, I may not have a good answer for that one. Yeah, well, well it is very problematic. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe one other possibly also problematic question or challenging question. Um, if you want to look beyond the pandemic, which, which seems um, very difficult at the moment, because as you say, the situation is not yet improving in Indonesia. Um, but if we try to um, take the, the lessons um, that that are there to learn out of this situation. What do you see as the main challenges for Indonesia's education sector, especially the early childhood education sector, once the situation sort of normalizes, once the pandemic is over? I, I think really this pandemic time is an opportunity for us to talk about inequalities. I think in my opinion, we often hide, we often conceal inequalities when it comes to education setting. So I think what the pandemic has taught us is that the inequality is there and it's even uh, perpetuated during this pandemic. So, so maybe uh, because as long as we don't talk about this, I will see this, this as a challenge that will hinder not only early childhood education, but, but also education in, in general. And again, uh, this is might be... Um, too good to come through. Uh, a dream come. It will be come true if it happens. But again, I think it, it might all be a good time to start discussing about the free universal early childhood education in Indonesia. Uh, because again, during this pandemic, we can see how uh, so many schools, uh, so many centers, so many kindergarten they've been they've been closed because of their inability to survive due to the lack of financial capital. Uh, so maybe if we could, you know, uh, I think there has been a discussion. I have to say, in the ministry level, for example whether they are going to make a one-year pre-primary as compulsory, for example. And I think it is a momentum for us to keep the conversation going because this is 
very visible during this pandemic and how it affects the, the further inequality. And also when we define access and participation in Indonesia, it's very often the discussion about the gross enrollment rate. So we haven't really taken into account how students' voices are included in the education system. So maybe it's also a good opportunity for us to start thinking about how to include children's voices in the education system. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Well, that would be um, two good outcomes if um, a new debate yes. started about that and about the inequalities in the sector. And um, you know, hopefully you will have a voice in that debate. Um, thanks very much for um, your contribution today, Vina. I really appreciate this, um, especially during this difficult time. Please stay safe. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invite. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. And also to Chris. Yeah. Okay, that was the latest Talking Indonesia podcast episode with Dr. Vina Adriani from Universitas Pendidikan Indonesia. Please join us again for our next episode on the 5th of November. And finally, as ever, don't forget that you can find the entire archive of the Talking Indonesia podcast at our blog, the Indonesia at Melbourne blog, or you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening and till next time.